I'm going to ask a strange question, and it is relevant to what we're thinking, but can I be reassured that we took the posters down from the board? Was it us or was it someone else? I just noticed that we've got the shadow of the cross there. Do we know if was it us or someone else? No, but it's funny. I, I kind of hope it was us and we've just forgotten we did it at some point with the good intentions of replacing it and then finding we hit lockdown and couldn't. Um, I mean, for decades, like many of you here, I've been involved in church plants, outreach, all sorts of things. And there was a time every time you put a poster up, someone would deface it and tear it down. So you always had a spare one with you to replace it. The sad thing is now, because I, just a couple of years before we'd locked down and I was trying to advertise a scripture union at school, I put plenty of posters up round and nobody even touched them. They don't notice them anymore. They just don't see. But for someone like myself, as we are here gathering in the presence of the Lord, there's a little bit of me that my brain's going, it's great we're in the presence of the Lord, but, but what's happened to our posters? My brain's going, oh, I don't know. And, and we get distracted. We miss what we should be doing. I enjoyed uh, John's introduction to his message last week when he was saying, imagine that Einstein was Scottish. And they're sharing all the wonderful things that Einstein has discovered and talked about. And then someone stands up at the back and says, aye, but I can't disfear that. Because we've got a similar thing here. We've got a wonderful passage about a man who has been ill for 38 years, who the Lord seeks out and finds and heals, even though he does not know who Jesus is. And yet in the passage, we've got all these other details and all these other issues suddenly being thrown up that we can almost miss the miracle of what's been happening. Odd enough, the similarity that came to my own mind was, um, you know, I don't know, I hope this doesn't happen to any of you, but you're sat there, in my case, my wife or someone, it's given birth to the first grandchild of both sides of the family, they're there, and they say, oh, isn't the bairn lovely? And they said, aye, they are, but they could have painted, picked a better color for the walls. And you're thinking... Who cares what color the walls are? You've got a new grandchild. Isn't that fantastic in itself? But it's funny how these little things get noticed. And I, I was, when I studied this passage, you're told that Jesus went up because it was a festival. We're not told which one. And I'll talk a bit more about that because it's not irrelevant, but many commentators then go in looking for all the causes to which festival it was. And there was one commentator who said, if we needed to know, I'm sure we would have been told. But then we're told that the, sh- the pool had five porches. And I'm thinking, why? Why do we need to know this? Why is this relevant? And some commentators, particularly the older ones, I mean by older as Augustine and so on, going, oh, these are the five books of the law and it's the number of humanity and of course the water in the middle represents the Holy Spirit. And they go into this wonderful thing and almost fail to pass comment on the fact we have a man who was sick for 38 years who God has healed. Isn't that amazing? But I wonder how much of our own Christian life is filled up with the missing the point. We miss what God is doing right in front of our eyes because of some small detail that we think, that's not right. Or maybe it should be like this. Or is, and we miss what God is doing because we're looking at the wrong thing. Now, as I said, it's not that these things are irrelevant. And oddly enough, it's almost two stories. If we didn't get the message in the first half, we'd get the message in the second half. Because this was a Jewish festival. Now what's relevant about that is there were three festivals of the year that they were obliged to go to Jerusalem. The Passover, where we celebrate, we celebrate the sacrifice that Christ made so that we could enter into a relationship with him. 
There's Pentecost, which they celebrate as the giving of the law, and we remember as the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the Feast of Atonement, which, oddly enough, there isn't a Christian fulfillment of. However, it begins with the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's about them moving from their temporary dwellings into their permanent ones. And it actually includes a thing called the Last Trump. So there are some who every year, about that time of year, think, maybe, maybe this is that time of year. Maybe this is when the Lord's coming again. However, it's also appropriate because it's the time of year that the high priest goes and makes atonement for himself. And of course, Jesus does not need to make atonement for himself. These are also harvest festivals. They're times of great celebration. They're times when people go up and celebrate what it means to be Jewish. They're times when people get together and they feast and they drink and they celebrate and it's wonderful. And it's wonderful if you're able to take part. But this man has not been able to take part for 38 years. For 38 years, the closest he could get to being part of the celebrations in the temple or being part of the celebrations anywhere was to go and sit at this pool in the hope that maybe he could get into the water quick enough to be healed. Now, some of your scriptures will mention what some aren't too sure of, a passage which says that the angel, an angel would come down and stir up the waters and if you were the first one into the water, you would get healed. And a lot of modern translations don't have that because it's not in the older texts. And they think it's maybe put in as an explanation. But the story goes, and it's true, you hear it in the man saying himself, is, but I can't get down to the water quick enough to receive the healing. Now we need to maybe... It's always a curious one. There are, there are many passages in the Old Testament that we do find difficult. And one of them is the passage as to why those who had a disability could not enter into the temple. Why those who suffered from certain infirmities were not allowed to make sacrifices. And there are some apologetic ways of reading this. One is, well, look at our current situation. We're living through a time of COVID where for many times we can't get together. Not because any of us is carrying a bad sin that we're not allowed to meet, but actually for the sake of our own health. There's also the sympathetic approach that says, but actually this is an obligation that's put upon those who are physically able to do so. And if you're not physically able to do so, you are relieved of that burden. However, there is no getting away from the reality that just because he was lame, he wasn't allowed to take part. He's been excluded from that aspect of worship for 38 years And sadly, he's also on his own. Unlike the man who was lowered down through the roof, he doesn't have friends to carry him around on a mat. He's on his own. The Sheep Gate. Now, the Sheep Gate is the one through which Jesus will come through on Palm Sunday. It's the one where the sheep market was. It's the one where the sheep that were entered in for the sacrifice that we remember at Passover would have come through. It's also one where they would wash. And some people have wondered if the stirring the water was simply when they made the sacrifices and they washed the sacrifices the water would run down into this pool whatever you're thinking think well that's not wonderfully hygienic he cannot even get down the steps into the pool i wonder how he even made it to the pool in the first place but this place is full of people with various disabilities all of whom are excluded from the worship and from the festivities And Jesus goes in. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in amongst them. That's where Jesus went. He went in amongst those 
who needed him. But this is, there is a curious question. Is Jesus walked into the crowd of these people who were ill and sick, and he went to one specific person. Now, this man had no idea who Jesus was, but Jesus did know this man. And he asks him, do you want to be healed? Which might seem like a curious question. Of course we would think you would want to be healed, but sadly, as I'm sure I'm not the only one who knows, how many people do we know that need help that when we say to them, can we help you? No, I don't want to be helped. I've spent time with people who are homeless who do not want a home. People who are addicted who do not want to be relieved of their addictions. And sometimes people are carrying burdens and you can almost hear the Lord saying, do you wish to be relieved of that burden? And they say no. And I'll talk a bit more about that soon when we come to communion. But as a number of commentators who know better than I do, of course, in certain parts of the world, begging is an income. And if this man for 38 years has lived off from begging because that's all he could do, then for some, you take that away, what's he going to do now? We do not know how he was lame. We do not know if he was born lame. We do not know what happened to him. There is no reason to suggest that he became lame because of sin, although Jesus does say, stop sinning unless something worse befalls you. Now that lets us know that the consequence of sin is far greater than being lame for 38 years. And I think sometimes we forget that. But he says, yes, I he doesn't say yes, he just says, but I can't heal myself. I can't do what I need to do to be able to be healed. But Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And what's really encouraging is the, what's the first, where's the first place this man goes? He goes to the temple to worship and thank God for his healing. The place that for 38 years he's not been able to get to, he can now go to. And that's where he's found. And what do we find? This man that's been excluded because of his health for 38 years is about to be excluded because of the law. Because there's those that are zealous about the Jewish law come up to him and say, you shouldn't be here because you shouldn't be carrying your mat. It's almost a repeat. There's now a different reason for this man to not be allowed to come and worship in the temple. Before it was his health, now it's the law. But we need to be careful. Because who gave us the law? Where did the law come from if it was not from God himself? It's easy for us to turn and say, did Jesus not say the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a gift. It was a heart of Jewish identity. It was part of what made them Jewish. They, at that point in the Roman world, they were seen as lazy because they took a day off. Because work was something you did all the time. Of course, we can now see the wisdom of God because living in a society that now treats every day the same, how many people are anxious and stressed because they never stop? They never get any peace. They never get a chance to say, that's great, this needs done, but not today. Today's a day that I cannot do anything about it, so I won't. Because it's always bothering them that there's something to do and there will always be something that needs doing. But it was also a time for worshipping the Lord. Now, throughout Jewish history, whether you read Jeremiah or Nehemiah, there were times when they both stood up and said, stop bringing burdens out of your house. Stop carrying a burden into the city. In Nehemiah's case, it was very clear that they were treating every day the same, and he wanted to stop having a market on a Sabbath. And he said there shouldn't be any burdens coming in through the gates. 
In Jeremiah's case, it was a similar one. People were just carrying on as normal. They were carrying on as it was normal, carrying burdens. But neither of them meant you can't carry a rucksack on the Sabbath. Neither of them meant that if you see something on the floor, you can't pick it up. Neither of them meant the simple thing, as in the most zealous cases, that if you happen to walk around and you just happen to have some needles or something in your pocket, you are carrying a burden. The Lord wanted to give us a break from our daily work. He wasn't creating an additional burden. And it's amazing how when they wanted to get rid of the laws, now in Scotland we didn't have the Sunday trading laws because it was always believed we were too Presbyterian to ever need them. But for some people, the Sabbath Sunday became more of a burden than their work Monday to Saturday because of all the things that were expected on them. This man had been told to pick up his mat and walk. And they say, why are you doing this? Well, the man who healed me told me to do it. And they they seem to completely ignore the man who healed me bit. Wow, this is amazing. Here's someone coming in who's not been able to be here for 38 years. All they're fixated about is you're carrying your mat. You shouldn't be carrying your mat. Why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And afterwards, Jesus comes and finds the man again. And again, restores him into the heart of worship. It's the same thing again. It's curious because a number of commentators will say, and then, of course, the man does the most heinous thing. He goes and tells on Jesus. And there's a part of me thinking, I'm not quite sure that's really how that's meant to be read. You know, he could have gone away. You are left with the question as to why did Jesus do this? And maybe I sometimes think, why did Jesus do this and then go and hide himself away? And I sometimes think it's to let us know what a gift we have received from the Lord. This man did not know who Jesus was, yet Jesus still healed him. Even afterwards, this man did not know who Jesus was, but he remained healed. His salvation did not begin by him knowing anything about Jesus. Jesus' ability to go into someone's life who doesn't know him is still true today. But there is that reality that we as a church who preach forgiveness, who preach the gospel that the Lord has come to dwell amongst us and we are all welcome are known as in society as a place of standards, of rules, of regulations and things that they have to do, which in society they don't. How many people don't come to church on a Sunday because they're not good enough? when actually it's those who don't believe they're good enough that need to come to church on a Sunday. I'll come back to that thought in a moment. I know I myself, I mean, I'm sure many of you, gone are the days when to come to church on a Sunday, you had to have good clothes. Now, I like wearing a suit. I'm actually quite comfortable in a suit. I don't wear it to make a point. I actually find it funny when people come to me and say, you know you don't need to wear a suit. I said, I know, but you also know I'm allowed to wear a suit. I like to wear a suit. You know, if you're going to make a fuss about me wearing it, those days are gone. I still remember hearing stories of my friends, you know, the first time they turned up in an assembly in a pair of jeans and the kind of gasps they got, how can you be here in a pair of jeans? But they still wore a hat. They weren't going to go without a hat on. They just were wearing jeans. They still had the hat on. That was fine. You know, the bonnet or whatever. And I used to laugh at this. I mean, I'd grown up in the Catholic Church. It didn't matter what I wore because I put on a cassock and cotter anyway and nobody could see. And I used to have my cassock and cotter on, my skin-tight jeans and a pair of Doc Martens coming out the bottom of them. But that's a different matter. But there was a time not so many years ago 
It was actually, thankfully, I can know it was quite a few years ago, but I had no excuse at the time either. I was at an evening service, and this group of teenagers came in, which was fine. I'd done many things, got, tried to get teenagers in the church. But one of them came in, and they sat in the front row, and they opened up a poker chips. And I'm sat there in the middle of the service. I can't even remember what the guy was talking about. Look, I think is I can smell this boy's chips. He's sitting there eating chips. He shouldn't be eating chips. Does he not know this sanctuary? He shouldn't be eating chips in church. Why is he eating chips in church? This is kind of what was going round and round my brain. Of course, I was very quickly put to shame after service. I mentioned it because everyone else was, all anyone else cared about is, isn't it great he was here at church at the message? I'm thinking, yes, but he was eating chips. How easy it was for me to miss the point that what it was that this boy on his own Sunday night had chosen to come to church at half past six when he could be hanging up the street with his pals because I couldn't see the past the fact that he was sitting on the front row eating a poker chips. Now that's, as, as funny that as that is, how often do we do that with other things? I was having a conversation and I was talking about now, as I've just said to you, I grew up in the Catholic Church. And as you know, the Catholic Church have some very strict rules about who can and can't take communion. They also have some teachings about communion which differ to ours. But we still talk about guarding the table when it comes to communion. Now, we have an open table, which means that anyone who knows and loves the Lord may come and share in the bread and the wine. But this phrase, guarding the table, became almost that those who are right with God can come to communion those who are in a right frame of mind and in the right heart and i thought have we not missed something when it comes to something as simple as communion for the same reason the lord decided that he wanted to be remembered for us to remember his sacrifice by us gathering together to share bread and wine a simple meal And who is it that needs to know most what the Lord has done for them if it isn't those who aren't in a good place? For those who are struggling, for those who need his forgiveness, for those who are seeking reconciliation. But too often these would be the people that kept themselves apart. Have we made communion out to be something that it isn't meant to be? If we replace the word communion with a modern word, fellowship. I want you to remember me through fellowship, by gathering and eating and drinking together. Can you imagine people coming and saying, oh, you know, you, you've cooked this nice meal, and someone says, sorry, I can't come to your dinner tonight because I've not had a great day. And part of you wants to say, come and sit and have dinner, and let's talk, it, but let's talk about it. Come and sit with me. Perhaps we can help each other. Perhaps we can talk it out. Now we do have, there is a way of taking communion wrongly and that's sometimes when we take it and we are harboring, now I want to get this right and not contradict what I've just said. There are two things going on here. One, when we take communion, we are acknowledging there is only one saviour and that's Jesus Christ. And as such, it is a fellowship of those who know this. But we are also acknowledging our weakness, our frailty, that Christ needed to make that sacrifice. But we do correctly take it as a moment to think, is the attitude of my heart right? Not so that we can then hold on to it. And this is where I want to come back to that phrase where Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? 
Because sometimes when you hear people have not taken communion, it says, yes, because I'm in a bad mood with such and such. Have you, why have you not taken communion? Oh, because I fell out with this person. And you can almost hear God saying, but do you want to be healed? And they almost say, no, because I'm in a bad mood and I don't want to not be in a bad mood. That when we check our hearts, it's almost like God is saying to us, yes, you've got things in your heart that shouldn't be there. But do you want to be healed? Do you want to give that up? Do you want me to bring you into a place of reconciliation with myself and your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you willing for me to do that? Because I'm going to be honest, there are times you get hurt and there are times when things are painful and it's difficult to let go, but that's very different from not wanting to let go. And so communion itself can be a time of healing, a time of reconciliation, a time when actually we are relieved of our burdens. Not that we pick them up, but actually we can put them down. Communion isn't for those who think they're perfect because those who think they're perfect don't think they need the Lord. Oh yes, I thank the Lord for all that he did to me, did to me, did for me. And I thank him that he's made me perfect. No, actually, we need the Lord every day. If you think you're perfect, you're denying your sin and you're actually denying the work that the Lord did in your life. 